Thank you. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here. I'll sing it. I don't care. <laughs> Go ahead and put the one on. We, uh, we've been in our, in our, our study, the church, uh, for several weeks now, and uh, I am loving it, and I think the Lord, uh, I don't think, I know the Lord knows what He's doing and the timing of everything, and uh, just encouraged by uh, what, the, what God is doing uh, in this church, in uh, our world. Uh, I'm excited for what lies ahead. I know some people are uh, discouraged and uh, feeling a little beat up maybe, and, and maybe the trials and the struggles, it seems like uh, they just won't end. But uh, this morning, uh, we'll just get a little bit of encouragement, hopefully, and maybe some challenge through the Word of God and through the message. So uh, last week, we... Um, we saw a couple of very important points. I didn't add the third point, so it's going to be the first point um, in this week's message because it kind of uh, goes along with, with last week's, but it also works as we go. But uh, we saw the church continually going through persecution, basically, uh, after the, the first time they were told not to preach, uh, and then the next time, and again, they have these outward struggles. And then we saw in chapter 5 this little inward struggle creep in through this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. And each time uh, we've seen the church handle the struggles faithfully, handle the trials, handle the tax, and God blesses. He blesses them as they handle the trials faithfully. And we learn from them that not only God, God is able, but He also desires to multiply His church. And, and that applies still today. God desires to multiply His church. There's nothing changed about God's desire or His will that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so we see this is what God desires to do. And if God is desiring to multiply His church, if God is still able to multiply the church, and we talked about if the, if the power of salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the gospel of Jesus Christ has never changed, and we asked the question last week, then why aren't we seeing the multiplication that God is able to do and desires to do? If God desires to do it, He's able to do it, the gospel is still the power, the gospel has not changed the answer has to be us. And we, we talk about what is, what is us? Why, why are we not doing what they did? Why are we not seeing what they saw? Why aren't we experiencing the same explosion of believers in and through the church? And, and I'm, I'm convinced that it has to be the comfort, especially here in America, that we've become intoxicated with. The comfort also, not only that we've been intoxicated with, but we've also been infatuated with, right? I, I, I'm saying us, because just a, a good litmus test is what happened last year, right? Our lives got turned upside down, and, and it's still weird today. Our, our lives are completely weird and bad, and, and, and the word was uncomfortable, and, and the Lord put that on my heart at the very beginning of last year before we entered into that whole weirdness. And I believe God preparing us to say, hey, look, don't strive for comfort, strive for me. Strive for the faith of the gospel. Because comfort's going to come and go. And don't be intoxicated with comfort. Don't be so intoxicated, infatuated with what you like and what makes you comfortable in this world. This comfort that we've become intoxicated with and infatuated with has caused a mass silence of the most important things. And specifically the most important thing. And that's the sharing of Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Because people aren't sharing the faith because of comfort, I believe, like they used to share the faith. I shared last week that there's 30% fewer Christians today that believe that it's every every Christian's responsibility to share the gospel. So 30 years ago, there was almost, not almost all of Christians in America 30 years ago believed that it was every Christian's responsibility, your responsibility, my responsibility, every Christian's responsibility to share their faith. And now today, around 60% of Christians believe that it's every Christian's job to share the faith. And so if the mindset is that we don't have to share the faith or it's not our responsibility, it's their job or it's somebody else who's more comfortable or somebody else who is more extroverted or whatever the case may be, if that's the mindset, then guess what's not happening? The gospel is not getting out the way that God desires the gospel to get out. People aren't inviting others to church like they used to. Maybe our church is unique. Maybe you're one of the, the few that are inviting people to come hear the message of the gospel, to hear God's word. People aren't living lives in addition to this that are so distinct for Christ that the world sees the difference and says those people are different. I believe too many Christians today are much like the world in that they're attempting to live the life of a Christian as kind of an accessory, kind of auxiliary to their main line purpose on this earth. So the, this group of Christians, is maybe Christians, they attend the gathering of the church. They maybe even give to the Lord. They maybe even serve in some ways. And, and maybe they sometimes invite people to church. All those things are important to them unless something in the world pops up more important. And then it's at that point, then the things of God take that, that, that back seat. Just for the moment, just for that day, just for those things. Make no, no mistake, there's nothing wrong with the blessings of this life. There's nothing wrong with our kids and our kids being involved. There's nothing wrong with us enjoying certain hobbies and being involved in those hobbies. The things that we have and and the things that we do in this world that aren't sinful, again, we should enjoy those blessings, but not when they take the place of the eternal things of God. And we can, we can explain that away and we can justify that away and we can say, man, I'm there everywhere. We can do all kinds of things. But when it comes down to it, if God and the things of God aren't the most important things in our life, then we can just say we're not going to see the multiplication in the church like they did in the first church. We just throw it away because it takes that type of devotion. It takes that type of heart set and mindset. These people were already facing persecution. These people were already experiencing loss. They were already experiencing attacks. They were experiencing all these things, and yet they still said and they still proved that the things of God are most important in their life. The church of Jesus Christ is the vehicle that he chose. It's not my choosing, it's not preachers choosing, it's Jesus Christ chose the church to be the vehicle of the gospel 
And church, if we don't get serious in these last days about being who he's called us to be, then we're going to miss so much of what he's entrusted us with. If we don't get revived, if, if something doesn't stir our hearts for the king, if, if, if sin doesn't break our hearts and sinners going to hell doesn't crush us, and if we don't return to the great passion and devotion of that first church of delivering the good news of Jesus Christ, if we don't do that, then we're going to miss the great opportunity in the small window of time that God has afforded to us on this earth. That's what's going to happen. And then we'll stand before him and we'll have missed the great opportunities for the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords and we'll not be able to change it. I hope that we'll grab hold of the seriousness of the moment. We see things going on in our nation. We see things going on in our world. And, and, and some of those things do all kinds of stuff to us. They make us mad. They make us happy. They break our heart. They fill our heart. We see it in, whatever it is in politics or around the world or, or in our local community or, or in our state or whatever. There, there's things that, that, that move. And, and if you're a Christian... And, and you see what's going on, specifically in our nation, with, with there's, a, there's an exaltation now in, in, in our, and it's been in our world, it's been in our nation, but it seems like now there's, the, there's a door that's trying to be flung open for all kinds of ungodliness and sin. To not only be legal, but to be exalted and called normal. And so what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? There, there's a, a great push to evaluate conservative, religious extremism. And what's thrown into that pot is calling sin, sin. God has not ordained a man and a man, a woman and a woman, a man that wants to be a woman. A woman that wants to be a man. God has ordained one man and one woman. That's God's way. God has ordained life. He has, he's the author. He's the giver of life. Sin is the producer of death. Sin is what causes death. Jesus died, took on sin on our behalf, so that we could have eternal life, so that life would come. And so when, when, when God says, I am the author and the ordainer of life, and man says, certain lives aren't important. Certain lives at some stage of life development aren't important. Then just get ready for the judgment of God. And I believe if the church doesn't rise up, and start sharing that Jesus Christ is the only way, that Jesus is the author of life, then what's going to happen is we, church, are going to get swallowed up all around, and our voices are going to be even more silenced. And then we're going to find ourselves a lot closer, I believe, to this first church, having to make some real life decisions, some real freedom decisions. Will I, will I be the, 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 the disciple of Christ? Will I be the one who will not be silenced with the gospel? Will I be the one that says, no, this is sin? 
and risk losing my job and risk going to jail and risk even losing my life, will I be that one? He said, will it really get like that? I don't know. I didn't know. I, 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 I felt like maybe in 2012 we were talking about the, the Supreme Court looking at the case of legalizing homosexual marriage, that it eventually would permeate our nation, but, but just within a few years that it would happen. I, I was surprised. I knew that there would be some, uh, some, some persecution against churches in, in many ways. I thought that it would come through hate speech, which they were talking about at that point in time. If you call sin, sin, then that's hate speech. And they, all that kind of stuff is, is, is thrown out there. And now what's going on in our nation, they're trying to lump everybody with a different view than a sinful view into this same group. And if you would have told me in 2019 that in 2020 we would see that it would be illegal for churches to meet, I would have been like, well, that's pretty quick. <laughs> That's what we're seeing. And if we don't start getting serious about being the people of God, and again, we're going to not only miss the blessings, but we're going we're to see it come quicker than I think we expected. But we saw this multiplication in the first church, the blessing of God. As I said last week, just like it is today, it's always accompanied with murmuring. See, the enemy's not okay with the, with, the, with the attacks from without being enough. It, the enemy is not satisfied with just launching attacks on the church of Jesus Christ from without. The enemy knows that just like in our own relationships, some of the things that sting the most are from the people that are closest to us. And so what else would the enemy do if he couldn't shut their mouths from the authorities Every time that they tell them to stop, they're back in there doing it, and the enemy can't stop that. What is he going to do? He tried it with Ananias and Sapphire. It didn't work. I'm going to try it again. I'm going to try it with some, some vulnerable people. I'm going to try it with some, per, some, some personal relationships, some people that really mean something to this church. I'm, I'm going to stir the pot from within. And what happens? The murmuring inside the church begins to pop up because certain Greek widows were being neglected. And I made the disclaimer last week, I'll say it again. While that was actual, an actual problem, that was an issue, there's no question about it, those certain widows shouldn't have been neglected. While that was an issue that needed to be resolved, the murmuring, what does the murmuring mean? Most of us know what it means, but specifically in our day and time, it means complaining. It means griping. It means even taking a grudge and talking negatively about others or about a situation. The murmuring wasn't the solution to the problem, right? That's what they said. Complaining is never going to help anything, right? That's what, they, that's what we say today. Griping is not going to solve anything, right? You, you at your job, what happens? Something goes wrong, you don't like what's going on, and so you start complaining to your, employee, your fellow employees. Does that help anything? Well, it makes me feel better. <laughs> Absolutely. It makes our flesh feel better to gripe and complain about someone else. It doesn't actually help solve the problem. I urged us last week, and I'll urge us again as a church. Let's be a part of the mission and the solution, and not a part of the murmuring and the stink. Let's make sure that we are those who are by faith living out what, what Christ has called us to live out. Let's 
That's a long intro. We're going to pray and jump into this week's message. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to praise you and the challenge already in this service. Lord, we pray that you'll just speak to us. Lord, we need you. God, if we don't get serious about serious things now, we're going to be overcome and overwhelmed. The lack of faith that we have now will crumble under the weight of persecution and struggle. Lord, help us now to be those who are living by faith, having strong faith, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Lord, help us to set our eyes on you, to press toward the mark, that goal of the upward calling of Christ. Lord, we pray that you'd bless now and we'll work, we'll praise you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Again, we read it last week. Now, in those days, the number of the disciples was multiplying. God was doing great works. And there arose a complaint. There it is. There's the murmuring. Against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So, again, we know that they were all there in the temple, and there was people that had stuff. They were selling stuff. They were, uh, you know, uh, taking care of people who didn't have stuff, specifically those widows. And a specific group of widows were being neglected. And instead of saying, hey, uh, hey, can we go ahead and, 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 and get some of this done over here? We've got some ladies that are uh, being neglected. We need to help them over here. Let's do this. They began to, they began to do stuff like this. Why are they doing that? Why are, they, why are they only taking care of those ladies? I mean, these people travel a lot farther than these people. So why aren't they doing this? I, you know what drives me crazy? Those, those apostles and then those people that are always busy, uh, you know, doing certain things and teaching certain discipleship things. They're, they're, they're always so concerned and they, they always try to be so. What is that helping? That's not helping anything. Griping and complaining about those people who are actually doing and serving and, and, and giving and doing. And all of a sudden, that helps nothing. It actually hurts tremendously the body of Christ. And so they're griping and they're complaining about what was not happening or what bad was going on wasn't helping the church at all. But the problem still existed. The problem made its way to the apostles and they learned a quick lesson that day. I believe one of the lessons that the apostles learned as leaders is that they could not do everything. And that's a hard lesson for leaders to learn sometimes. But they learned that they couldn't do everything. It was starting to overwhelm them. See, God had faithful, gifted men in that church, especially with thousands of people there now, especially as they've been meeting and gathering and, and, and teaching and, and, and daily being in the, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And they, they were able to, to see some growth in that early church. So these first leaders used the gift of administration to help this issue be resolved. And what resulted is what I believe, as I said last week, something that the church still benefits today. And I believe, first of all, this morning, point number one is this, so important for us to understand in this, that struggles can lead to spiritual solutions. As I said last week, the last point was multiplication will always result in problems or struggles. Anytime God begins to add to the church, anytime God begins multiplying, anytime there's something working in our lives or working in our church, there's always going to come complaining and there's always going to come struggles with that. But struggles can actually lead to spiritual solutions and victories that we wouldn't see if it wasn't for the struggle. But we have to handle those struggles correctly. 
It's so vital for us to do that. I mean, from everything in, in our relationships, especially in, in the church, if we don't say, look, I've got a struggle, I've got a battle, I've got an issue, I've got a, there, there's something going on, and I have to make sure to handle this correctly. Why? Because I want to see a victory. I, I, I want to see, see the solution to the problem surface and God get the glory. And the only way that's going to happen is if I do my part. God can bring the victory. God can do whatever he wants. God is all-powerful, but I and the one have got to handle it correctly. Let me ask you this morning, how many times have we not handled our struggles correctly? Man, I know I've not handled every struggle correctly. Whether it's in, you know, uh, marriage or, or, or family or, or church or, or somewhere else. I mean, out in public. What do we do sometimes when we don't handle our struggles correctly? I think sometimes we try to handle it personally instead of prayerfully. Right? Our, our, our first reaction when something surfaces in our life and it becomes a struggle is to try to shoulder it and handle it ourselves. We try to, try to figure it out, try to emotionally push through it. Again, we handle it personally instead of saying, okay, wait a second. <laughs> I just need to take a minute and pray. I, I feel like... I feel like I want to respond like this. I feel like I want to say this. I feel like this, but what I'm going to choose to do is I'm going to pray for a minute. I'm going to pray and ask God to give me the right spirit, give me the right heart, to give me words that are going to help, be health and helpful and, and encouraging and building and edifying, just like the Bible says that my speech is supposed to be always with grace. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to handle it prayerfully and not personally. James chapter 1 says, look, you need to count it all joy, my brothers. Why? I don't like this trial. I don't like this struggle. I don't like this attack. I don't like this, this, this murmuring and this complaining. I don't like these things, but count it all joy. Why? When you meet various trials or trials of various kinds, why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And if you'll allow that steadfastness to have its full effect you will be perfect and mature and complete, lacking nothing in your, in your life. Right? That's what, that's what most of us want if we're a Christian. I want to be perfect and complete. I, I want to not lack anything in my faith. Why? Because when the trial does come and when the storm comes and the attack comes and, and all these things come in my life, I want to be able to be handling them faithfully and not get crushed under the weight of the struggle. So he says, if you'll allow this to take its, its course in your life, say, yeah, but it's not fun, it's not easy, it's hurtful, it's difficult, it's, it's been too long. Allow it. Count it joy. Know that God is doing something in that struggle, through that test, through that trial. Know that he's doing something that's going to produce something way more valuable in comparison to the weight of the trial. He says, but... If in the midst of that you're lacking the wisdom on how to handle it, just ask God who gives generously. And he doesn't, he doesn't chastise you for asking him for wisdom in the midst of a trial. And he'll give you the wisdom. But you need to make sure and ask God in faith without doubting. Because if you doubt, you're like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. And he says, for that person... Must not suppose, don't, don't expect that you'll receive anything from the Lord. Because it's double-minded. 
And that double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So when you're going through the trial, when you're on the waves and, and you're in the, in the midst of the storm and, and all the struggle is coming against you and it's difficult to handle, what he says is he says this, ask me for wisdom and I'll give it to you. He never said, I will take you out of the trial immediately. I'll give you the wisdom to make it through it. And on the other side of that, on the other side of that, when you have exercised the wisdom that God has given you in the midst of the trial, God will give to you the steadfastness and the spiritual things that you're, you need to be more mature to handle the next great trial. So you have the disciples blown up. Had they bit back at those who are complaining, well, great leaders y'all are. Look at what's going on over there. Those ladies, there's some people that maybe even die close to death. Y'all are just neglecting them. Wonderful. Had they said, you know what, what are you doing? Get off your duff. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> A little hot-headed there, leader, you know. What if, what if they would have bit back like that? Maybe the solution to the problem would have come later, and they wouldn't have been able to experience the blessings with that solution. Maybe it would have never come for them at all. Maybe the neglect... On the other hand, would have never happened for these widows if someone who saw the problem was helping instead of complaining. Right? Problem would have never arose, maybe, if the church said, you know what? There's a group of ladies over here that are being neglected. These other ladies, because they're closer to these people and they they know them, there's just a familiarity there, and, and they're probably just being dismissed. But we see we see the problem, and, and we can go help. They could have done that, but they didn't. They began to complain and murmur. And I want to say this morning for all parties, pastors, leaders, church members alike, everybody, we must know. We have to know this, that when God is working, when he's working in your individual walk with him, when he's working in your family, when he's working in this church, and when multiplication and blessings are, are flowing and souls are being saved and things are happening, struggles will come. But we have to know those struggles can lead to amazing victories if we handle them right. The next time you see something wrong, the next time you see an issue, the next time you see something that could, could, could be better, the next time you see those things, don't go and start complaining to somebody else. Don't start complaining to your, to, to your friend or that person that you serve with in ministry. Don't go complain. To, don't do that. First pray. Say, God, how can I help? I'm available. I want to be a part of the solution not a part of the stink. So how did they handle it rightly? They didn't backbite, bite back at the, the complainers. They didn't tear the complainers down. They didn't belittle them. They didn't, they didn't do all those things. So how did the disciples handle it right? Verse 2 says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, the apostles weren't saying that they were above that. That's not what those, that wording in the Greek says at all. They were obviously servants. 
They were obviously, and again, in the context of the, of, of the message, they were a part of what was going on. But what they were saying, it's not reason. It's not pleasing, the word means. It means it's not agreeable. It's not desirable. It's not fit. It's not what is right for the health of the church. That the disciples who were charged specifically, called by God to do this work, that they should be torn away from those primary duties to wait tables the majority of the time. And many scholars, many people believe based on this that that's what was going on. The apostles were being worked and they were working the table so much that they were feeling this tug of their time away from God's word. And so with the news and the complaining of, uh, of the problems that were going on, they weren't getting to everyone. And so they say, you know what? We need some faithful men. Look in verse 3. So brethren, look out from among you. Seek them out. Seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Ghost and, of, and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So the charge was clear. Identify seven men. There's nothing wrong with ladies. Many times ladies serve with greater excellence than men. But in God's order, he said, I want seven men. I want men who are going to take this, what many of us believe are the office of a deacon. I, I, want, I want seven men that have good reputations. Not perfect men, but have a good reputation. What does the word reputation mean here? Good report. It's the Greek word marture. It's the same word for martyr. Witness. Testimony. These men that you'll seek out, you'll know who needs to be, who needs to be identified because they'll be living their lives in such a way that gives witness and testimony to Jesus Christ. Their lifestyle doubtless will point to Christ. Not just good old boys, not just good old boys that are strong and able to help, not just good old boys that have money, men that are faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ. Clearly devoted even to death, and we'll see that next week or the week, week after. Men who are such witnesses that they would die for Jesus Christ. But there are also men, the Bible says, they are supposed to be full of the Holy Ghost. And you just ask a question, you hear different words today. Oh, that person's filled with the Spirit. Oh, that person's anointed. Oh, that person, like, how, how can you tell? Are they just emotionally excited about the things of God? Is that how you tell if someone's full of the Holy Spirit? Is that how you tell if someone is a, a, anointed, the, the word is used today? How would it be determined that the, the men were full of the Holy Ghost? Well, Jesus taught very clearly when he was talking about false teachers, that you'll know them by their fruits. And while he was talking about these false prophets in Matthew chapter 7, I believe, as many people do, it still can actually be applied to Christians versus non-Christians, right? You can tell a false teacher from, from, from a right teacher because of what they teach, how they live. The same thing, you should be able to tell a, a Christian by the fruit of their life. And I love that God gave us some indications of what that looks like. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote in Galatians chapter 5, what the evidence, the fruit of the Spirit being present in someone's life actually shows. What, what are the things? Actually, I mean, Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit being in someone's life is first of all love. They love. 
Let's not love in word only, but word and deed is the command. So someone who shows love and someone who speaks love, that is evidence of the Spirit first and foremost. But then also someone who's joyful. Man, if you're a Christian and you're walking around looking like someone killed your dog every day, Either that, that branch of, of joy producing is withered in your life, or maybe you just need to check your salvation. I don't know. But joy, we should have joy. Even James, we said, well, I'll go count it all joy when you're in the midst of a trial. That's one of the things that sets Christians apart. Even we, 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 we sorrow as those who have no hope. You know, Paul said, so even at, 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 at uh, celebrations of life, when we say goodbye to somebody at their funeral, we can have joy in the midst of sorrow. How? Because the Spirit resides in us. The temple of the Holy Spirit. Love and joy and peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the children of God. There's something about somebody who says, you know what? I like peaceful things. I don't like drama. <laughs> yeah, let's do a qualifier real quick. So I don't like drama, so I don't, I don't, I don't get around people. That's wrong. That's avoidance. Peace. It kind of goes into the next one. Long suffering. Kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. Full of faith. Faithful to God. Gentleness, self-control. And against, the, there's no such law. Again, someone living with the fruit of the Spirit being exhibited, driving them. Again, they're going to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh, the passions, the desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, he says, look out from among yourselves men that are full of the Holy Ghost, that are evidenced by bearing the fruit of the Spirit. See, anyone can play the part. Anyone can show love because things are good. Anyone can, can have peace because they just want to get through the situation. Anyone can have joy because everything is, is going good in life and there's no struggles going on. But listen, somebody who is exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, even in the midst of when everything's crazy and when there's no comfort and when there's all these complainers over here and when things are difficult and it's hard to be faithful, someone who still exhibits, exhibits the Spirit. Anyone can play the part, but it's only someone who is actually sincere, who is submitted to the Spirit, bearing that fruit, can be labeled full of the Holy Ghost. That was part of the testimony, the witness, the good report that they were to have, they were to be full of the Holy Ghost. Additionally, they were to be filled with wisdom. Not just experiential wisdom, so they weren't supposed to be looking for only the oldest guys in the church, the guys with the grayest of hair or the baldest of heads, but godly wisdom, not fleshly or earthly wisdom, godly wisdom from above. And James deciphers that in James chapter 3. You can read that when you get an opportunity. We are to have wisdom. And one of the greatest characteristics of wisdom is to be able to hold your tongue. Proverbs chapter 29 says this, a fool utters all he has. He gives full vent to his spirit. Probably like some of the people that were complaining about certain windows being neglected. 
they, they just, they get emotional, they see a problem, and they're <laughs> They vomit complaints, they vomit criticism, they vomit just whatever's on their heart. But a wise person holds it back. And it's not talking about bottles it up like we talk about today, all this psychology other way. You're going to bottle it up, bottle it up, bottle it up. No, no, not talking about that. Some, somebody who says, you know what, I'm not going to say anything right now because it could be hurtful, it could be damaging, it could cause the problem to be worse. I'm going to pray about this. And I'm not going to allow my time in prayer about the issue to create an even worse condition of my mind or my heart. So that's one of the problems that we have too. We see a problem, we have, we, we have this issue, and we don't say anything because we know it probably wouldn't be the wise thing to say right now, but we still allow the problem to stir and to fester, and, and, and we don't actually continue to pray and pour our complaint out to the Lord. We don't pray and, and pour it out before God. We, we, we say we're praying about it, but we keep allowing it to be bottled up and fester inside of us, and so that becomes an even greater problem. And then we try to spiritualize it and say, well, I didn't say anything, I've just been praying about it. When we're lying, we haven't been praying about it. We've been bottling it up and allowing it to marinate and become an even greater problem. It's a recurring theme in the verses dealing with the fruit of the Spirit and dealing with godly wisdom on top of holding all these things in its peace. And Jesus had quite a bit to say about peace. Very telling and profound and Indicative was Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount when he says, as I said while ago, blessed are the peacemakers. They should be called the children of God. So these men were to have a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, it's supposed to be evident in their life, it's supposed to be full of wisdom. In other words, they, they have peace and they're not just vomiting all the emotions and being a part of the complainers. These men were out there faithfully serving and they were, they, they were evidence that they were walking with the Lord. And I think that we can take a huge lesson from that. That's point number two is our testimony the fruitfulness of the Spirit in our life and wisdom should set us apart as contributing servants. These men were to be distinct. And again, I believe that they were, they were going to be appointed to this office, what we now know as, as the office of a deacon. Uh, it doesn't say that in this, but again, we can see that throughout the, uh, the New Testament. It, it seems to fit. This is exactly what was going on. No question the struggle here by the apostles was handled wisely. And it provided a victory and a solution, as I said earlier, that we are still benefiting from today. But these distinctions in the church were clear. You had people that were sharing and giving and serving. You had those who had, and you also had those who didn't have. And then you had leaders. And the leaders used the gifts and the offerings to ensure that those who didn't have would have, that the church would continue on, that the gospel would go out, that the doctrine would continue to be preached, the important things would be continued in addition to the physical needs met. And among the people who had not, again, the most vulnerable, the widows, some were being cared for, some not being cared for, some who were sharing, giving and serving, being served, again, and there's there arose this distinction, the complainers and the contributors. The contributors were those who were serving faithfully. 
The leader said, okay, here's our problem, here's our struggle, here's the issue that we're facing as a church. And if we're going to go on and we're going to see the kingdom of God furthered, if we're going to see those things, that we, then we need those contributing servants to step up and help in a greater way. While not everybody can hold the office of a deacon, obviously, these men will be appointed. The truth is that everybody should be living in such a way that it's seen that we are the contributing servants, not a part of the complaining few. We should be a part of those who are reliable to be called on when there's a struggle or when there's an issue that, that, we, need, that we need to tackle as a church. There should be a, a, a great majority of people in that group. This morning, who might God be looking for to help this church get beyond the struggles that we're facing? In this church, in this community, in this nation, who, who is God going to find to help further his kingdom right now? I think we wouldn't be too far off by saying that He'd be looking for men and women that are displaying the same characteristics. People who are displaying the fruit of the Spirit on a consistent basis. They're faithful. People who can hold their tongue and pray about it for the benefit of others. People who can make peace and show peace by their attitude, their actions, and their speech. With their responses and their reaction. This morning, I... I hope that we grab hold of this important time and we say, God, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of those who are helping the church move forward. This morning, if you've been struggling, if you're in the midst of a trial, if you're going through something and you know you've been handling it with complaints, maybe you've been handling it by, by murmuring, maybe you have struggles in the church and with other people and, and you've been murmuring, complaining. Stop being a part of what's holding the church back. And maybe come this morning and say, God, I want to be a part of the solution, not the problem. God, I don't want to be a part of the complaining group. I want to be a part of the contributing group. I want to be faithful to you. I want, I want to see victories. I want to be a part of that. I, I don't want to be that, that teammate that's sitting sitting off that, that's disgruntled and, and not a part of what's going on and, and, and even getting more disgruntled because of seeing victory in other people's lives. I don't want to be a part of victory. Let's respond however the Spirit lets us respond because we've got to be the church he's called us to be. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be in this place. Lord, we thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you for the challenge this morning to me, to us as a church. Lord, we need you. God, help us not just kind of coast by in this life and wonder what's going to happen next in our, in our nation or in our world, but let's take up the mantle. Help us, God, to stand and to walk by faith, to be proactive, to be on the offensive, as you've told us to be, to go and make disciples of every nation. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Lord, just move now in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand. As he sings, I encourage you to come. Up.